welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the best news and views from the world of television brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. We've got a special for you this week and it's coming to you all the way from California as M&A specialist Thomas Day of LA-based ACF Investment Bank joins me, Jesse Whittock, for an exclusive chat. ACF has become well known in its 10 years of business for securing major M&A agreements for the likes of Left Bank Pictures, Carnival and Plimsoll. Joining us from the other side of the pond, Thomas will tell us about how the M&A market has changed since COVID arrived on the scene, gives us the inside track on a groundbreaking recent deal that's seen Netflix financing broken bones, the new indie Black Mirror writer Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones, and he'll reveal how M&A could help with the global industry's push to tell more diverse programming stories. So I'm here with Thomas Day from ACF. Thomas, how are you? I'm very well, Jess. Good morning. Um, nice. You're over in LA, um, probably sunnier than it is here in dreary uh, Twickenham. Sun always shines in California. <laughs> now, Thomas, uh, we've got you um, onto the podcast today uh, to talk about the international M&A market uh, and some interesting um, new developments and trends that we're seeing that you and uh, your your team at ACF have been sort of central to uh, this year. It's been a funny year for M&A, I suppose. Um, speaking to some of your colleagues uh, in London at the start of the year, uh, there was there was a lot of optimism that the, uh, the M and A market was really starting to hot up into for the in terms of the UK indie sector and the broadcasting sector. Um, certainly looked like there would be uh, there would be a, a swathe of, of deals, um, and we then saw COVID hit and the market slightly recalibrated. Um, we'll talk more about broadly um, what the um, how, what, how the market is shaken out, and I know Thomas, you've said uh, it's. Um, it's, it's not been quite as, um, as dramatic potentially on, on some parts of the uh, mergers and acquisitions market as, as we might have expected. And we've obviously seen big deals like Endemol Shine uh, and Banerjee go through. Um, but specifically, uh, we, we wanted to talk uh, about one deal um, that uh, you had uh, you brokered um, earlier this year, a couple of months back, um, to do with uh, Charlie Brooker, the uh, writer of Black Mirror and, and many other uh, British TV drama and unscripted series, um, and his, his business partner, Annabelle Jones, um, who launched a new indie, Broken Bones, uh, which was backed by Netflix. Now, we hear that, that Little Birds have talked about that deal being uh, uh, in the region and, and sort of beyond the region of $100 million. It's a huge deal uh, for Charlie. And, uh, and Annabelle, um, putting them, uh, giving them the firepower to go and produce a, a sort of new generation of uh, of the types of programs that he is uh, he's a, he's famous for. Just going back, um, Thomas, how did ACF become involved uh, in that agreement, and what were the what were the conversations that you were having uh, with the various parties about getting that agreement going? Sure. Um... Well, sort of going back a step further, I think you're right. I think as we came into um, the start of 2020, um, we had 10 mandates that were in progress. And I think 17 and 18 were quite uh, slow years. I think the, the sale of Endemol had a lot of people um, focused on that deal. Um, and there were a lot of people looking at the change of um, guard from sort of 
uh, broadcast to SMOD. So I think there was a great deal of uncertainty in the market. And there was also a bit of a change in the market from uh, cheaper sort of high volume programs to high value uh, kind of premium content. Um, so I think all of that led to a bit of a change, both in terms of the TV production market and in terms of what people were wanting to buy, which led to some quite quiet years. But then as we came through into the back end of 2019, suddenly the market picked up again and with quite an appetite. You know, we closed a bunch of deals. We did the Plimsoll transaction with LDC. We did the Bear Grylls deal with Banerjee. Um, and coming into 2020, we, you know, obviously started uh, completing the Charlie and Annabelle deal. Um, and this deal um, was really on the back of our previous track record. Andy Harris from Left Bank, who do The Crown. And then we've got Gareth Neem, who did Downton Abbey at Carnival. We have a track record of working with these premium producers. Um, and they actually contacted us and said, could we come in and help them with this transaction? Um, so we really got involved in that sometime early in sort of 2019. Um, I think the deal was very different from all the other deals that Netflix has done. Um, this was not an overall deal. This was an M&A transaction. Um, and as a result for Netflix and for Charlie and Annabelle, this was kind of, you know, we had to cut a new territory, a new deal. Um, and the end product we were very happy with, as you said, there was a very high guaranteed element um, which they will get. And then there is a top-up payment based on what happens over the five-year period. Um, there's also a bunch of other advantages to the deal that they are actually independent and they are running their own company um, and they will be able to make their own choices and they will have M&A style protections, um, which again means the structure will then lead them into an optimized tax position as well. So I think this is the first deal of many and I, I expect the streamers to be much more open to M&A style transactions going forward. And why do you think Netflix made uh, that decision to move into this kind of deal making? Um, I'd like to say it was the excellence of ACF, but um, <laughs> it was the uh, relationship between Annabelle and Charlie and Ted Sarandis. And they have quite a close relationship. Um, and we went to them with this structure and proposed it. Um, and they agreed to, you know, accommodate our wish. I suppose one thing that from a journalist point of view, looking into this agreement is this looks like a, a great deal uh, for the, uh, for, for a creative. Now I, know, now I know Netflix has, and Amazon and, and several other uh, larger international services have been uh, very, um, aggressive in signing up talent like you say to um to sort of uh to um program deals but not in the sort of MA sense we're talking about shonda rhimes we're talking about ryan murphy uh phoebe waller bridge um over at amazon several other um examples of that but what does this deal do you think say about the opportunities for creative well you know i've always been a supporter of the creative community and i believe in the past what's been happening is that often the distribution method has been getting more prominence in the studios and the broadcasters than the actual people who are creating the content um, and i've always looked at the three aspects that feed into content which is the production 
the on-screen talent and the writers. Um, and we obviously have dominated the production space for the last 10 years. It's just that we just announced our 10th year uh, anniversary um, and we've closed uh, just, just under 100 deals in that time. Um, and I've always looked at those two other spaces and thought that they should be um, you know, much more vibrant than they are. And obviously we've seen quite a large change in the talent pool, uh, on-screen talent. We did the deal with Bear Grylls. We've currently signed up two more very sort of high-end uh, AAA celebrities, and we're trying to work with them to monetize their presence, their, their, their personal, their human capital. Um, and I think that's going to be a common feature. So people like Dwayne Johnson, who have built an empire around their brand, we're going to see more people like that. But then the other pool was the writers. Um, and this pool, you know, some of the high-end writers do earn good money on some of the big scripted shows, but I still don't feel they get this, the recognition they deserve in the, in the process, because without them, there wouldn't, the other two groups wouldn't survive, and certainly the broadcasters and the digital or the, the OTT platforms wouldn't survive. So I think what it's doing is it's bringing them into prominence, and the issue you have with a lot of writers is that it takes quite a bit of time to do writing of scripts, so it's not as much volume. So they haven't created these businesses that we would think of, you know, with a hundred people around them. They tend to be quite solo artists by themselves. And I think what these deals do is they, it allows them to be much more really tuned into the business and to make a hell of a lot more money. The, the restriction is that these streamers do want them to write just for their platform, but there are examples where you can get you know, exceptions. Um, but by and large, these are much more about a marriage between, you know, taking all the output from these writers into one of the platforms. And you're, um, you're keen to, you personally, Thomas, are, are keen to uh, discuss these sorts of agreements with, with writers and you're sort of, you're, you're calling for more people to come to you and discuss what, how and, and why these deals might work. Yeah, I mean, I always say that, I mean, if you wait to be approached, you've already lost the initiative, right? You're talking to one uh, house, they come to you with a big number, you've got no comparison, you've got no idea who else might offer you more money or might maybe a better circumstance. So we prefer people to come to us, we prepare their kind of story, we go out and we take them to two or three or four or five platforms and we bid them against each other. It leads to a better quality deal, and it also gives them a chance to see how different homes could work for them. You know, there's now nine, eight or nine very significant streaming platforms, and some of the newer ones that are emerging just might pay more. Um, it's a bit like when you sell your flat, you might want to speak to more than one person. Um, that's how you get to a better price. I suppose one thing that people will be listening to this and thinking is, how does this impact the kind of the current supply chain? So I'm thinking in the American system, for example, um, and, and to a lesser extent over in the UK, a lot of writers are attached to agencies um, or, and, uh, and will, will often have their, well, almost always have their shows sold to networks and to broadcasters through agents. And what, what does this mean for that side of the, of the market? Well, I think if, the, if, if, if a writer is tied up with a house for five years, 
um, then the, the, the need for the agent obviously reduces in that regard. So it just means that they're not being shopped around for different ideas to different places. And I think there's two sides to that. One is obviously, um, you know, the ideas they have might be accepted at different houses. And if they're locked into one, there may not be such a big market for them. But the flip side is that these people, these uh, OTT platforms are writing these deals because they do want the content because they do like the people they're writing the deals with. And in terms of monetary benefit, I mean, it just dwarfs anything they've seen before. Um, so I, I think, listen, I think there's always a place for the agents in this world because they do deal making in any angle and every place they can. They can. So I think that, that they're just going to actually shift their focus um, away from those individual deals and start looking at bigger deals. Now, Thomas, one uh, we were having a, a pre-conversation um, around M&A earlier this week. And you made a very interesting observation about the way creativity is, is evolving. I think a lot of industries have um, a traditional stepping stone of people that go into that industry. And I think in Britain, you know, the TV industry was always people who came from the upper middle class background, usually white, usually Cambridge or Oxford, because they felt they had to have a good kind of grasp of the English language. So there was really a very uh, um, similar feed into that industry from you know, people living up the M4, West London. It was very specific. Then reality TV came in and there was a new kind of people who came in to promote that type of TV. And I think the diversity question hasn't been answered yet because it's still being made, those decisions are still being made by that group of people who, although well-intentioned, are really not from that group hence it's difficult for them to accurately portray that group um, and in america you know um I've, I've some friends of mine who are writers are writing for blackish and they're white and it, it, to me it was a it was an interesting thing that they're trying to portray something about a black community being faced by white people um, and i think that issue has been very prevalent in the u.s where the only content that comes out from diverse Kind of backgrounds tends to be over exaggerated and very intense and what we actually need to have is much more middle of the road content coming from each group promoted by each group and i think the way that that can be done is by people from within each ethnic group actually being the people to help grow it so i know that channel four has a very strong drive in that area um, and i think that it's more than just bringing a person in to be head of diversity investment it's actually allowing a whole business and a fund to be deployed in that way. So I do believe that people in the industry who come from diverse backgrounds could raise money and actually promote their own industry. And I think a good example of that is Issa Rae, who over here has done exactly that. She's used her platform and her voice to actually go and promote black writers and black actors and black directors that are not the usual picked group from the studios. These are people who haven't had a break, but are very talented. And if you see some of her more recent films, it's very evident in the films that that's delivering a much more, you know, what I would call calmer content and much more, you know, accurate portrayal of that group. So I think that it's a big issue that people are trying to grasp with. 
And I think now is a perfect time to do it because people are recognising that what we've done before hasn't worked. What do you see the future for M&A in TV in the sort of short to medium term being? And, and how do you feel? Uh, the, where, where are the opportunities for ACF? I think like the rest of us, when we came in from February into March, um, uh, there's just this over sort of all, let me try that again. When we came from February to March, we all were struck by this unique situation. And I think what happened is everything went on hold. Um, and during the next three, four months, you know, all businesses stalled across the board. It was quite a unique experience. Um, so I think that businesses that were reliant on huge teams of people going around creating content, you know, they're going to have a big hole in their numbers. And what we're finding at the moment is we're talking to both parties to see if there are deal structures that work for people. I think the answer is that unless you really need to do a transaction or you were impervious to the lockdown, I think these transactions are going to push into next year and we're going to just fold the piece of paper and say 2019, 2021, right? 2020, for many reasons, is not a good year. Um, the deals we have seen moving forward, I think, are an indication of the future, which is they are strong branded deals that have individuals who are able to reach the consumer even in lockdown. Um, and I think that's going to be uh, talent that's attached to content and to brands. I think it's going to be you know, people like Charlie and Annabelle that have a minted track record that people want to work with. So I think 2020 will be about initiating deals that have growth going forward that are not necessarily reliant on growth that happened previously. Um, going into 2021, I just believe what happened at the end of 19, beginning of 20, with, you know, 68 billion of new subscriptions coming into content, the market is underpriced by, in my view, 300%. I think it's actually, everything is gonna be very boisterous in 21 because content's gonna grow. There's so much money coming into the space. We haven't seen this for 20 years. Probably the life of TV has never seen this much money. And I think it's all gonna go into premium content, both scripted and unscripted. So I think 21 will be a very boisterous year and there'll be lots of growth opportunities and acquisitions. Well, that's a, that's a really positive um, note that we, that we can end on. Thomas, how do people get in touch with you directly? Because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who'd be, who'd be wanting to take some of these conversations a bit further. Well, you can email me directly. Um, my email is thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S dot D-E-Y at A-C-F-I-B dot com. Um, and we will get back to you. I mean, we're always happy to talk to people. Um, and, you know, we're always happy to have that introductory meeting. We appreciate that the thing we do doesn't happen every day. So it's a good idea to get to know us and it can take a few years before you do something. But feel free to reach out to me directly and we, we will get in contact with you. Thomas, it's been fascinating. Much appreciated. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Broadcast News Wrap. And a special thanks goes to Thomas Day for joining us. I know what you're thinking. Where's my what we've been watching this week? Don't worry, that sought-after segment will return in next week's episode. Please make sure to follow us on at Broadcast Now on Twitter and check into broadcastnow.co.uk for more news and analysis and also look out for our brand spanking new monthly magazine.